biggest questions, and we talked about origin, where are we from? We talked about meaning, why am I here? We talked about morality, how do we know good from bad? And then last week, we talked about destiny, um, where am I going? And last week, it was a great encouragement to encourage us that if we are followers of Christ, our destiny is incredible. Yesterday was... uh, the last three days, I'm sorry, actually were the NFL draft. Any of you watched the NFL draft? Who was the number one pick? Golf. Jared Golf, right? He is your new quarterback for Southern California if you're going to be a Los Angeles Rams fan. A quarterback was taken number two as well. Do you think there's high expectations for those young men? Huge. Do you think those young men are now going to be very rich? They are. I don't think anybody in this room got drafted in the NFL, did they? We do have one NFL player over here and Mr. Wally, GJ. But um, you got to understand this, that if you do not have the ability to play football at a professional level, then you don't get the opportunity either to be drafted, be a free agent, or you do not get the opportunity to receive all the incredible reward of being an NFL player. And so that disqualifies all of us in this room. And that's a very sad thing to some of us. I actually played quarterback. You wouldn't believe that. But I quit my sophomore year because... Well, simply put, I couldn't throw the ball like a dart. But you think in terms of seeing people get great rewards of hard-earned effort. When we talk about destiny, the great reward you get is not dependent upon what you have done, but upon what Jesus Christ has done. There's a huge difference in that. Because if you are looking to an eternal destiny as well as a great destiny for the remainder years of your life, and it's all down to what you can muster up, then you're going to be very disappointed. But if you understand the fact that it's Jesus Christ who is the one who has redeemed you and saved you, and we're going to talk about some of the fuller aspects of the gospel, the good news of Christ, then you will find a destiny that is richer than the number one draft pick. You only play so many years. You can only buy so many things. You can only do so much with fame and notoriety. But you can do eternal things if Christ is a part of your life. And everyone in this room has the opportunity to not be drafted by Jesus, but to be redeemed by Jesus. And we're going to close our worship time here after a while, coming around this table to remember the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, being raised from the dead, an opportunity for you and I to have the forgiveness of our sins and to enter into a destiny that's incredibly beautiful and great with him. But last week when I spoke on destiny, I had to make a turn towards the end, and I shared out of my own heart why I made that turn. And the turn was not this great euphoric opportunity that we have to have a destiny with Christ eternally if we're a follower of his. But that if we're not a follower of Christ, that our destiny is one 
as recorded in the parable that Jesus spoke in the great feast of outer darkness. And I'm very mindful that when I closed last week, it was a heavy. In fact, it carried over into some of our small group experiences. I was interacting with uh, our small group and our life group and trying to figure out, you know, how there's some heavy questions. Well, the reason that that turn was made was because a work that God did in my life a week ago Saturday night, and I still have not unpacked it all. That work was I was preparing for last uh, Sunday's message, and God brought me to a place of conviction concerning where my own heart was at. This last week, we were at a um, district conference of other pastors in Southern California with Christian Missionary Alliance, and our leader, uh, Bill Malik, many of you know Bill. Bill speaks here sometimes. He's been a part of congregation every now and then. And uh, Bill, three months ago, had a heart attack. The last time I'd seen Bill was uh, a couple days before he was to have surgery. And he pulls out this, uh, is it called an angiography, angiography, where they do the put the dye in your system and they show where all your blood vessels are and where your blood vessels are not. Well, all the key artery vessels that was to keep him, being, keep him alive were not showing up on his angioplasty or his angiogram. But there were some others that had grown to compensate for it. He ended up having quadruple bypass and um, a valve replaced. And he looked very healthy this week, just to give you encouragement word on that and prayers. Some of you have been praying for uh, Bill Malik. But it was interesting as he shared the news that came to him once he had had that test done. And he looked at it. And if you look at that and you think, that's my heart, then you're starting to think, oh, my goodness, something needs to be done with this or I'm not going to be alive very long. Well, I thought the same thing when he said that this week related to what happened to me a week ago Saturday night. Because as I'm praying and thinking through destiny and the beautiful destiny we have as our Redeemer in Christ, but then also the heaviness of those who die apart from Christ into outer darkness, God began to convict me in my heart that I had a problem, not with my physical heart, but with my spiritual heart. Because as time moves along, you can become deadened. You can become deadened to the realities around us in a spiritual realm, eternal realities. And I rolled out of my bed that night, as I mentioned last week, I hit my knees, and all I could say beside my bed was simply, this is not good. This is not good. That phrase came back to me when Bill shared about God changing, giving him a good physical heart through some surgery. And I said, Lord, whatever surgery is needed in my life to give me a good spiritual heart of passion for lost people, people who've never had the opportunity to know the beautiful redeeming uh, work of Christ and a destiny that's far greater than any monetary thing that could happen to us, including being drafted in an NFL God, give me a spiritual heart that is passionate for those who do not know you. A heart that was truer of some of my formative years when I made a decision to walk into vocational ministry. This is not good. And one of the things I came across that night as I rolled out of my bed and I got then back in my bed to just pray and, and ask the Lord to take me to some places 
was I came across this video clip that I want to show you. This video clip is of um, a very uh, a young man. He actually heads up now all the missions work for the North American, uh, uh, the Southern Baptists, and uh, his name is David Platt. He's written a book called Radical, and if you read that book, it's radical, all right? But I wanted to show you this clip because on Great Commission Day, it's not just a, hey, let's charge everybody to go out and reach the world for Christ. I believe that will not happen unless there is a burden that we begin to carry for people who do not know Christ. Just as surely as I carry a burden for everybody in this room and who's a part of our congregation, and maybe you're a person here this morning that's never had the opportunity to discover the redeeming work of Christ in your life, we need to be burdened for those who do not know Christ. But are we? Are we? Watch this video from David Platt. Do we really believe that everyone who is not trusted in Christ for salvation will experience damnation when they die? I'm standing right now in northern India, home to 600 million people. They estimate that about 0.5% of the people around me are evangelical Christian. 0.5% who have trusted in Christ for salvation. That means 597 million people surround me right now who don't have Christ. Many of them are Hindu, worshiping endless false gods. Many of them are Muslims. Some of them are Buddhists. I'm actually standing right now near the border of Nepal and Tibet at a Tibetan Buddhist training ground. There's a lot of talk right now about universalism. A lot of dialogue and debate and discussion. It all revolves around what happens to people who die without Christ. I hope that no one who knows me as either pastor or person would question or wonder where I stand on this issue. The crux of the Bible is clear and the story of redemption is sure. The just and gracious creator of the universe has looked upon hopelessly sinful men and women and their rebellion. And he has sent his son, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin and the resurrection, so that everyone who believes in him, who turns from themselves and trusts in Christ, will be reconciled to God forever. And likewise, the converse is true. Everyone who trusts in themselves and turns from God will be condemned by God forever. This is the gospel that was proclaimed by Jesus. This is the gospel that was proclaimed by Peter and Luke and Paul and John. This is the gospel that's been proclaimed by Christians for the last 2,000 years. And this is the gospel that's being declared and defended so well by so many over the last few weeks. But my question is, do we really believe what we're saying? These 597 million people, are all of them going to an eternal hell because they don't have Christ? And there's really only two simple options here. Either number one... We believe, a la Rab Bell, that all of these people will one day experience God's everlasting love in heaven. Or number two, we believe, a la Orthodox Christianity, that one day all of these people will experience God's eternal wrath in hell. And how we answer that question determines everything about how we live. The reality is, if we believe that everyone's going to be okay in the end, 
if we embrace universalism, however it is cloaked, then we're free to live our lives however we want, to sit back as easygoing Christians in comfortable churches, because in the end, all of these masses are going to be okay. They're going to be fine. However, if we believe that people around us, 597 million people in northern India, 6,000 plus people groups who have never even heard the gospel, if we believe that they are going to an eternal hell without Christ, then we don't have time to play games with our lives. And we don't have time to play games in the church. We have a mission that demands radical urgency. Here's the deal. Intellectual universalism is dangerous, thinking that in the end everyone is going to be okay. But functional universalism is worse, living like in the end everyone is going to be okay. So let's fight them both. In our heads, in our hearts, let's hold fast to the truth of this gospel. And in our lives, let's sacrifice everything we have. Our possessions and our plans and our dreams, our safety, our security, if necessary, our own lives to make this gospel known among all peoples. That is the only possible response for people who really believe this book. My father passed away three years ago this spring. He never uh, had the opportunity to really grow up in a church environment or come to place his faith in Christ. He did when he got older. I remember him telling the story about how at a a meeting in a tent um, he was invited to be able to receive Christ as Redeemer, and he did. And through the years, working alongside my dad growing up on a farm, I uh, was always admiring of him, of his hard work, yes, but his single-mindedness as it related to trying to reach people like himself. I used to say that if my dad was actually physically able to be in my church, the church would have grown a a lot of numbers because my pastor was uh, a distance from where he lived because he had a heart for reaching people who did not know Christ. And last uh, Saturday, when I was um, being convicted about my heart condition, this is not good, um, the words of my dad came back to me, and he would exhort me every now and then. He would say, Carrie, there's, uh, there's no warning message anymore in the church. There's no warning message. Now, why did that come back to me last Saturday night? Well, because I think that sense of urgency that I have may be lost is because I sort of get fanned into a, a funk thinking that, yeah, you know, God's a good God, and he wouldn't let anybody be eternally lost. But here's the reality. God is a good God. God is a loving God. But God is a holy and just God. And so in his realm and his universe, he has to allow justice to prevail. And so the reality that there are some who are invited in around the banquet table And I'll be seated there with my dad someday, I believe, on the other side. It's great news, but some will not be around the table. They will be in the outer darkness, as we referred to last week. And that's not something you and I like to talk about. It's not something, once we got into it in our uh, life group this week, I'm like, I don't know if I really want to talk about this. Because you immediately go to people you believe, passed from this life who did not have a relationship with Christ. And that's very hard for us to handle. All I can say is this. God is perfect, holy, and just, and there is no one better to fall into the hands of than one who knows all things. 
and knows the heart and knows the intentions of people. And so I always defer. I never say, well, that person went here, that person went there. No, you defer to God because God is holy, perfect, and just. And who better to fall into the hands of? But we as believers, and if you're a non-believer this morning, we need to take rightly what Scripture teaches, that they are lost. But it's not an easy thing. But what we have today, and he gave reference to it in his little um, um, clip there, uh, we have even very successful, progressive popular pastors today starting to move away from teaching that there is eternal lostness for people and that everybody gets in. He referenced a book by Rob Bell called Love Wins. Universalism. That's the teaching. Everybody's in. Do you believe that? vast majority of people believe in heaven, but they do not believe in a hell. And for us to rightfully continue to love God and to serve him, to be able to come and to worship him, we have to take into consideration the whole counsel and the teachings of Scripture. And here's the reality. I would not want to uh, articulate this reality of lostness to you if it was not clearly ingrained, not only in Scripture, but in the teachings of Jesus himself. Jesus talked about lostness. He's the one that gave that parable last week of outer darkness and the gnashing of teeth, the regret that goes on eternally. Either Jesus didn't know what he was talking about or he was deceived as to what was going to happen. And I don't want to go in that direction. Do you? The one who died was raised from the grave. He knows eternally and scriptures fully teach that we are to be about redeeming people, not only from eternal lostness, but temporary lostness and the lack of meaning and purpose in everyday life. And so that's why we have Great Commission Day. Because Great Commission Day sort of calls us together around the reality, not necessarily of the great lostness of the world, but the reality of what this table stands for, which is redemption and hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And that we have something to offer the world. We have good news. But if there's not the bad news, I've often said, then it's just news but we have the good news. And the good news is referred to in Scripture as the gospel. And what I'd like to do is just highlight what's referred to as the fourfold gospel, which is a part of a movement we're a part of. We're part of a movement called the Christian Missionary Alliance or the Alliance. And the Alliance was founded 125-plus years ago by a man who came out of a Presbyterian church, actually, who was reaching a lot of people in um, the inner part of Manhattan, And he decided to start his own initiative, his own ministry, uh, for various reasons. But it's said of this man, A.B. Simpson, that he would sometimes take a globe and he would pray over the globe and he would weep over the globe because he had a heart that was broken for the lostness of the world and especially those who had never had the opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ. But he was also concerned that in giving the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that sometimes the gospel got watered down to just... um, Fire insurance. Save you from hell. That's not the gospel either. Jesus talks readily about eternity, talks about losses, those kind of things. But Jesus talks about having life and having life to the fullest. We talk about it here, that we want you to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. To be able to be fully alive in Christ, to be able to be on mission, to be able to encourage everybody else concerning the good news that we have through Jesus Christ, means, though, that we need to have a full understanding of this gospel. 
And what was happening during A.B. Simpson's days a lot of times is the, water, the gospel was being reduced to mere salvation for the sake of eternity. And he says, no, it's not just salvation for the sake of eternity. It's salvation for a full and complete life that begins today. And so the gospel, he said, had sort of four folds to it. And there's a logo that goes with the alliance. It's in the upper right-hand corner. It's a blood dot. And in that blood dot, you have a globe. And inside the globe is the cross. There is a laver. There's a pitcher. And there's a crown. These each stand for something. That's not a cool, sweet, simple logo like a Nike Swish or an Apple. All right? It's a little complicated, but there's meaning in it. And that meaning calls us out as we seek to be a part of what God's doing around the world today, especially a part of the Alliance family. The cross stands for this. The cross stands for Christ, our redeeming Savior. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. You're not saved through Buddha. You're not saved through Muhammad. You're not saved through you pick, uh, pick any type of other, maybe guru or You know, there is only one name, Scripture says, by which you can be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. And that smacks with a lot of people. What do you mean there's only one way? There has to be multiple ways, right? Scripture does not teach multiple ways. And would it not make more sense with God to say, this is the way, the truth, and the life. It's through my son, simple, straightforward, rather than having a mixture, a potpourri of all kinds of different confusing directions. We have to work through all that. If you have questions concerning if Jesus really is, the way for salvation, then you need to wrestle with that through Scripture, interacting with others. But in Acts 4, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So Christ, as one aspect of the fourfold gospel, is our redeeming Savior. And redeeming means he has brought back, he has purchased us. The second is the labor. And the labor in the full four gospel sends Christ our abiding sanctifier. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, It is because of him. Who's him? Jesus Christ. That you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Much could be said about this word sanctifier. It's a confusing word to some degree because we don't usually uh, have it in our vocabulary. Sanctify means to set apart, to be holy, to be sacred. And so in the gospel, God not only redeems us and saves us from our sin, but he comes and he abides within us as our holiness and as our redemption. The third is the pitcher. The pitcher stands for Christ, our transforming healer. James 5.15 says, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise him up. A.B. Simpson was adamant that it wasn't just in word only, but also in deed. And when you study the life of Jesus and the opportunities are provided, healing is provided through what Christ did on the cross. We're going to look at that more in a month from now, actually. But the aspect of healing is embedded in the gospel of Christ. So when you pray, whether for physical healing or emotional healing or other transformation in your life, you're just not throwing out a wishful thing. God hears you, and through Christ, he is able to bring change and redemption to people, even physically. And then the fourth is the crown, which stands for Christ, our coming king. Acts 1.11 says this, Men of Galilee, they said, and this is after Jesus ascended into the heavens, 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That's a promise. The angel spoke it. The scriptures, Jesus foretells it. He is coming back again as our coming king. And so you have these four aspects of the fourfold gospel. Christ is our redeeming savior. Christ is our abiding sanctifier. Christ is our transforming healer. And Christ is our coming king. Now, I'm actually starting a new series today. But this series isn't going to move from one week to the next to the next to the next. I want to take our first Sunday of every month and be able to not only have a time around this communion table, but I want us to have a time to be able to pray and to intercede for one another, to be able to just sit in the ministry of the Lord. And I want us to take on each one of these. Today is Christ our redeeming Savior. Next month, the first Sunday of June, I want to take on Christ our transforming healer. The next month, July 4th weekend actually, is Christ our coming King. And then the weekend before, yep, school's getting ready to let out. It'll be right back in session before you know it. The first Sunday of August, we're going to take on Christ as our abiding sanctifier. I don't have much to share today on this aspect of Christ, our redeeming Savior. But I want us to reflect back upon um, his heart in a second as we head towards the communion table. The globe, of course, that's on the logo represents the Great Commission. And the Great Commission comes out of Matthew 28:18, And I invite us to read this together. Then Jesus, here we go. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Words of Jesus Christ directed to his followers after his resurrection, before his ascension. They are our instructions. And so we are diligent to make disciples of all people in all the earth. I want to come back and I want to look at a passage, though. Um, Joe, we're going to look at John three, sixteen through 18. John three sixteen through 18 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Words of Jesus. Jesus is saying that God just doesn't love you and love me. He loves all the world. And he desires that no one should perish, but that all would have the destiny of eternal life. This is the... heartbeat of God every day. Do you believe that? You woke up this morning. The God who created all people desires that all would believe in Him. That none should perish. That all would have eternal life. 
does not desire for any to be condemned. But for those who do not believe in the Son of God, they stand condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Scripture teaches quite clearly that the lostness of man is pretty dark. There is no one righteous, not even one. Left to themselves, mankind does not yearn to be a follower of Jesus. Left to themselves, mankind understands that there is God in the eternal world, I believe. Scripture teaches that in Romans, God's eternal power and divine nature. But they don't have a special revelation of who Jesus is. And so through the course of time, people have fulfilled that great commission. They have gone out. They've been sent out to make disciples of all people. And we, gratefully, are a part of a much larger body of people called the Alliance. When you start a church, you can choose to be independent. There are some advantages to that. But a lot of times you become independent-minded and you don't have the opportunity to have a broader influence. When I gathered with the pastors from 100 different churches in Southern California and Arizona and New Mexico this week... It was like a family reunion. You go around and you interact with people that are trying to knock down that great commission for Jesus in their little neck of the woods. But then we're partnering together to try to start other churches or to reach other places. That heartbeat of God extends itself into conviction into the lives of people, including yours, to do something about pushing back the darkness. So we do this together. And you were given on your way in a couple things from the Christian Missionary Alliance. You were given an opportunity to have a brochure from them, but also an opportunity to be able to give to um, the work of the alliance that supports the missionaries around the world. But simply put, we proclaim in word and deed that Jesus Christ himself is our redeeming Savior, our abiding sanctifier, our transforming healer, and our coming King. In your brochure, you see a few photos. And the photos are depictive of some of the stuff that the Alliance does around the world. Beginning with prayer. We pray for unreached people. And then we seek to plant new churches. Many years ago, the Alliance chose to go into Russia when the Soviet Union fell. In fact, the president of the Alliance had made that decision recently passed away and they've been remembering him but they went into Russia not just to show a movie and to pass out tracts they went in to plant and establish churches because that's what the Alliance family does when you plant new churches you end up seeing people become believers in Christ and so then you disciple the new believers you disciple the new believers and you lead them in to deeper walk with the Lord some from some of those disciple new believers guess what You train future leaders. You train future leaders, and those leaders end up becoming pastors of churches, and they establish the opportunity uh, for gospel to go into some other places. Train future leaders. The next slide says provide critical medical care because not only do we proclaim and teach, but we serve and we help. I'd love for you to meet some of the powerful Alliance missionaries who are also doctors and some of the incredible works that are happening in the Alliance. Then there's the whole aspect of marriage. Marriage is being healed and uh, focusing on them. Broken marriage is being healed. And then I want to highlight this aspect. One dimension of the Alliance is common services. 
Compassion and Mercy Associates. And Common Services does different things like help those devastated by war and disaster. It's the humanitarian and relief arm of the Alliance. They'll do things like dig clean wells. It was only two weeks ago that Ecuador had a pretty significant earthquake. Do you remember that? In fact, I heard yesterday some guy that was 72 years old, been buried for two weeks, was found alive. But the alliance would go to places like that. We have churches there that are serving and that are helping. Proclaiming redemption and freedom in Christ is our desire. And it's not just for a few. There are literally millions of followers of Christ as a result of the Alliance family around the world, bringing redemption and hope and healing in Christ. I want you to watch this video as part of Great Commission Day and the encouragement that it is to know that these kinds of works are going on. Here at Dakar Academy, outreach is a huge focus. Our passion is to let them know that even at a young age, these high schoolers can see Jesus move through them to reach the Senegalese people. Two of the biggest events is our biannual outreach weekend, where we go to villages in the outlying area and we proclaim the gospel using the kids' interests and talents, everything from puppets and drama to painting, construction, medical. On n'était pas venu tout simplement en parole, hein, mais on était venu également en action, des choses qu'on ne peut pas séparer. Parce que la Bible dit que la foi sans les œuvres est une foi qui est vaine, qui est morte. One of the new ministries that we added this year that we've never had before is praying for people who came to be treated medically. The students were washing people's feet and asking them, can we pray for you? So some people were being healed before they even got inside to see the medical personnel. When the child evangelism team and the drama teams went out to these outlying villages, they ran up to the students and said, we heard your God heals, will you pray? And they would bring their sick. This time during outreach, it was really quite different. We could tell that God was moving and he had a plan for the village. And there's one girl in particular that just God had an amazing story for her. We went into um, one village that was previously close to the gospel, but they led in the drama team. At the end, we asked if anybody won prayer. And so they brought forth this girl. Her leg was curled under and her ankle was bent. Her foot was turned underneath. She was walking on her knees. The only way she could get around was by just dragging herself through the sand with her hands. First impression was, this would be huge if the Lord could heal her. We prayed for her once and nothing really happened. We prayed again and again and again. I just felt, you know, convicted that sometimes it takes more than one prayer. Every time we prayed for her, she, she rose up a little higher and she could walk a couple steps farther. For the first time in 10 years, she was walking under her own power um, around the ground. Everybody in the village was going nuts. They n'ont jamais vu de guérison. Il va savoir qu'il y a quelque chose plus puissant que ce que nous croyons, nous qui n'en sommes pas des chrétiens. The dad came forth and talked to our pastor. What he told us was since he saw what Jesus could do, since he saw this healing, they were going to take her grigris off, which are fetishes for protection and things like that. And they said if she wants to, she can become a Christian. People were coming up and saying, this whole village knows what you're doing. There were grown men that were crying, that were weeping as our kids would pray for them or as our kids would wash their, their feet. Literally thousands of people were coming out to hear the gospel. 
people at the campaign were, were chanting, Yesu, Yesu, Yesu. And so it's like, where did this come from? You know, these are they people. They don't even know Jesus. They don't even know Jesus, and they're chanting his name. After we left and came back here, uh, the pastors called us and said, we are just getting inundated uh, by people asking more questions. What about this Jesus? Can these kids come back to our village? Usually we go in and God blesses our work, but this time God did his own thing. He healed people. He performed miracles. He opened doors that would, never, would have never been opened if it was just in our hands. Aujourd'hui, la population est très ouverte par rapport à l'évangile. Quand ils passent, ils t'écoutent, ils t'accueillent de façon chaleureuse parce qu'ils ont vu exactement ce qui a été fait. The villagers have said themselves they have seen the compassion of, of the kids. That's what really spoke to them. It's more than just showing up and, and talking about Jesus. It's showing Jesus. It's not just talking about love. It's letting the people see the love of Jesus coming through us. Isn't that a great story? The power of the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and says, This is my body which is broken for you. Then he took the cup and he said, This is my new covenant, representing his blood that would be shed on the cross. He said, As often as you take this bread and drink this cup, you remember my death until I come again. The gospel, the fourfold gospel. Savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king. We have good news. I invite you to celebrate that good news of Christ, your Redeemer, here this morning. This is how we're going to close. There's a song that's just going to be played. And as this song is played, you are free to come to take of the bread and to dip in the juice and just remember the Lord's presence in your own life. And also to maybe pray for someone else who does not know him. Maybe for your heart to be broken about the world. I want to encourage you to do this. Instead of receiving the offering, I'm going to ask the ushers just to have baskets on the way out. You can receive, uh, you can give your tithes and offerings on your way out. But there's not going to be a closing song. This is going to be our time for us to just sit and reflect on the redeeming Savior. And if you want prayer, I'd encourage you. Meet back by the cross. I'll be glad to pray with you. Mike, Karen, as well as maybe you need physical healing yourself today. There's provision in the gospel for you to be healed of whatever affirmity maybe that has been afflicting you. When you came in, you received that brochure concerning the gospel of uh, the, the Great Commission Day. I encourage you to consider being able to give a gift to God's work around the world. Every Sunday this month, we're going to give that opportunity to participate in the Great Commission Day offering. So if you're not prepared today, that's fine. But that, that gift goes to support the 700 and some missionaries in the Alliance serving in 70 countries around the world. We need to support what you just saw there on that video. I also want to encourage you that there's a magazine called The Alliance Life that has a lot of stories. It's actually voted the best denominational magazine possible. You can get this for free. There's cards for you to sign up for that out on the welcome desk. If you'd like that, just put them in the baskets that's there. 
But I want us to reflect as we close on the good work of what Christ has done in our life. And once you've taken communion, you're free to go or hang to talk with friends afterwards. But I'm going to invite Joe if he would um, begin playing that song after I pray. And uh, we're just going to take communion from there. Lord, we thank you this morning that we have hope.